Biggie. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. Biggie. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. You are now listening to the Hot Take Hot Box. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Hot Take Hot Box. My name is Matt McSweeney. Joining you April 5th here today. Day after the national championship, we got Eagles trade to talk about. We have the Sixers who are closing in on the end of the regular season. Phillies starting their season on Friday. So we have a lot to get into. Tigers playing in the Masters for anyone out there who watches golf. It's a great week. It's a big week here going on at the Hot Take Hot Box. Again, my name is Matt McSweeney. Thank you for joining me. I think we will start right here with the Eagles trade that just went down yesterday. A trade with a lot of moving parts, but it was kind of expected and something we've talked about on here where we knew they were going to kick at least one of these uh, these draft picks this season back to next year or you know years down the road to give themselves more to be open or more options for the quarterback position make a trade something like that I, we just kind of knew they were not going to be taking three first round picks we were prepared like you know we were preparing for both like I was doing the mock drafts and picking and I was cool with taking three but salary cap wise and just there's a lot of things that go into it where it just didn't seem like a Howie Roseman sort of thing to take all three so he kicks uh, he kicks one down the road. He makes a trade yesterday where he trades the 16th and 19th overall picks this season along with the 194th pick for the we get back the 18th pick from the Saints. We get back a third rounder this year, a seventh rounder this year, a first round pick next year and a second round pick in 2024. So it's a, it's a trade that on the on the surface seems like Howie Roseman got away with highway robbery and really made out well here because it, it not only still we still have two first round picks we didn't give up that much we also get you know draft capital for years to come I mean the, th- the first round pick next year is somewhat a, of a you know an even trade when you trade two of your first round picks this year but getting that second round pick in 2024 is going to be highly I mean it doesn't seem like it now so far down the road but that's going to be a valuable pick by the time you know next year rolls around or it's something you could throw in for a trade for a quarterback if Jalen Hurts does not get it done or does not show you that he is the franchise quarterback or someone you're going to build around long term because that's what this is this trade ultimately will be about we will get into that but I think the Eagles did very well in this deal with getting a third round pick this year they just it was a nice way to do exactly what we said, kick it down the road, give themselves options for, say, any quarterback that could become available. The first one that comes to mind is Kyler Murray. I don't know if that's someone that you want to make a deal for or trade a large amount of draft capital or whatnot, but I just think it gives your gives your your team the option to maybe make that move in the, in the future if Jalen Hurts doesn't pan out the way you expect him or hope that he will. At the end of the day, the spotlight is on him. I don't think uh, I've talked about it many times on this podcast that I just don't really believe in him and his ability to play the quarterback position at a high level. Uh, I th- I've called him a fringe, you know, like fifteen to twenty best quarterback in the league. Won't really kill you in games, but he's not going to win you a game. He won't make like those crucial, horrific interception mistakes. You know, at least he hasn't so far. He's 
kind of knows what to do with the football, how to keep the football secure and whatnot. He's made some he made some bad throws this year, but for the most part, I, I trust him in that sense. But I do not trust him to go out and win us a game, or, or you know, or just be the guy, be the driving force behind the team, be a quarterback that I really want to hang my hat on and, and build around for the future. But this this deal right here gives you the option to make a move next year. You don't know what's going to happen next year. Maybe a say Derek Carr becomes available or, you know, like this year, maybe Russell Wilson, maybe Aaron Rodgers is available next year where he's still got some, some left in the tank. You have options. Maybe you draft a wide receiver this year. You get some weapons in here that he becomes a feasible option for him or something that he is like, Hey man, I'd like to go to Philly with Dallas Goddard and Devonte Smith. And maybe you trade for, you know, there, there's rumors out there of AJ Brown wants to come play here or, uh, Jalen Hurts is online, you know, trying to get him to play here or just stirring the pot and whatnot. So it, there's guys out there. A lot of things can change between here and next year, and that includes Jalen Hurts playing well and winning this job. And you could use those picks to further build up a team around him. So, but it it, it does uh it does open uh I wouldn't say open up. It says it does start the clock on Jalen Hurts. Like he has this year. And the Eagles have this year to figure out whether he is the option or he is the guy that they are going to just build the foundation around. He, it's this, this is it. This is, and I think in order to do that, you have to give him not obviously in the same sense, but the same way kind of the Dolphins did with Tua, where you gave him weapons, and now it's like let's figure out. There's not going to be an excuse after the season. Say, well, you know, he's throwing uh, Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins. He, that can't be a thing. You have to give him quality quality targets, quality weapons on the outside, maybe even another running back. You're just gonna have to do things to make sure that he ha- like he has all of the just the tools necessary to win games and, and be that quarterback that we all want him to be. Or that the Eagles want him to be, that fans want him to be. It can't, yeah. It can't be a, a Paul Turner and Doriel Green backup situation here. And now I see DK Metcalf's name getting floated all around. And would you trade for DK Metcalf? I mean, of course I would trade for DK Metcalf, but the price has to be right. I'm not giving them what Tyree Kill, what the Tyree Kill trade was. I'm not giving up two first round picks. I'm not trading multiple multiple picks for years to come to get DK Metcalf. It's just not something I, I think is the right move at this time. And I don't think DK Metcalf more importantly is the right guy to do that trade for. He's not a Tyree kill. He's not one of those guys yet, at least I just, I just don't have the confidence that he is like that game breaking Devonte Adams, Tyree kill top 10 receiver where you can make a trade like that. And he instantly changes your offense to where now Jalen hurts is just throwing it up to him on, on a consistent basis you know, I, I just that's just something I'm not uh, not confident in right now. And I guess every, like everything, it's relative. If we were able to get him for a price that is reasonable, that's not like I said, you know, th- two first round picks, a third, you know, what I mean, not an insane number of picks and future just future draft capital. Then, yeah. OK, so you look at his stats last year, I would uh, I would implore you to do uh, and implore anyone to do. Let's just see. What what the what the look was here? I mean, he's he's 25, if I'm not mistaken. He's 24. He'll yeah, he's 24. So he'll be 25 at the end of next year. So it, this will be his year, age 24 season. They have they have a 24 uh, on 2021, but his birthday's in December. So you can uh, go back and forth and argue that if you want. But 
First year, he had 58 catches, 900 yards, seven touchdowns. Second year, 2020, which was a big year for him, 83 catches, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. And then last year was, you know, Russell Wilson was hurt for a portion of the season. 75 catches, 967 yards, 12 touchdowns. He played in 17 games. Seemingly has been very durable throughout his career. 16, 16, 17, you know, so he's not really missing games. So that that's one thing he has going for him and one thing that you can hang your hat on if you want to make a move like that. But like I said, all relative, I would, I would rather have A.J. Brown over uh, D.K. Metcalf, even though A.J. Brown's more injury prone. I just believe in his, more in his game-breaking ability and his ability to ha- be a guy who can take over a game like that. I don't know. Maybe I am just a hater. That's, that's what also could be a possibility because I just don't – believe in trading all that for Metcalf and then giving him a contract where you're just going to be tied to him for multiple years on end and believing that he's going to be your your bell cow uh, wide receiver or the guy you're going to build your offense around. I think the big thing or the good thing in, in a trade, say for a DK Metcalf, would be if you're able to do that, you you are going to open up Devontae Smith and the focus would not be on him anymore and it probably would open him up to produce more get more targets, get more just better looks, lesser of a cornerback, lesser focus on him uh, as a, you know, the defense can't just focus on Devontae Smith getting open and whatnot. And then maybe you could get a little more creative in getting him open and whatnot. But I think that a lot of that had to do with the fact that our just offense was kind of uh, handicapped by the fact that our quarterback isn't really that, you know, great at reading the, uh, reading the defense or getting the ball to guys where they needed to. So, you know, it kind of uh, I don't want to I don't want to just beat this to the ground. It's still you know it's still only April. The draft hasn't happened yet, but it's there's just a lot of names being. I, we obviously the the one thing we can all agree on we need a wide receiver. We need a number one to put next or you know a one A or one B whatever you want to call it to put next to Devonte Smith to open up this offense a little bit and maybe free up Goddard in the middle of the field. So you have, you know, you'll have guys on both sides and in the middle that you can have, you know, uh, just the the capability to make big plays. I still think they need a running back in this draft at, at some point, or you know, they're obviously not going to trade for one or anything of that nature. I, I'm not sold on Miles Sanders at all. Don't don't trust him to stay healthy. Don't trust him to hold onto the ball. There's just a lot there with Miles Sanders, and I don't want to pay him probably what he's going to be paid in the near future. So it, there's just a lot there for the Eagles. And it just, unfortunately with a trade like that, it, it kind of lets you know that this is not, they're going to be good, I guess. Okay. Kind of the same way they were this year, but it's, they're kind of kicking the can down the road and not making a decision on the quarterback yet. And I don't blame them necessarily. Sorry if you keep hearing voice cracks, my voice is starting to go big time here. It's going to be, it's going to be a rough week for the boy, but um, yeah, that that's that for the Eagles. It's it's a good, very good trade. Make no mistake about it. I I am. You should be over the moon, happy and excited about this because the Eagles won that trade. They got more more picks, more capital. It's a Sam Hinkie esque trade, just by gaining more assets, more assets, more assets. But eventually, like we've said, you're going to have to cash in these assets at some point. You got to get you know with all these chips, you're going to have to go to the teller. You're going to have to push them all in. At some point, cash these out and let, let's you know let's get our return, get our value for them. Probably not going to happen this year. It looks like, and uh, I'll be curious to see what their what what their focus is here in the draft and what they what they go for. They're they're gonna like I said, neither they need. There's a lot of holes that they need to fill. 
They need a wide receiver. They they need defense uh, all over. They need linebackers. They need an edge rusher. They need safeties. You know, they, they even need an offensive line. They, there's just a lot of a lot of holes that the Eagles still need to fill. And, and uh, we will see. We will see. Moving on, let's go to the Sixers real quick. Come, like I said, wrapping up their season, they only have one, two, three, four, four games left. Yeah, four games left. If I am reading this correctly, and my eyes are not betraying me. They lost a brutal. They obviously lost a close game against the Bucks, where they kind of, you know, got outlasted by Giannis. And Giannis, you know, you can blame back and forth of those Doc Rivers' fault for letting Giannis go on a 14-point uh, run by himself, having Paul Millsap and guys like that out there to guard him. But the Sixers just didn't play well enough that night. I mean, James Harden had his best game probably as a Sixer, 32-5-9, and 9 of 17 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3, which, like I've told you, is huge. Tobias, 2 of 8 from 3, it's just not good. And Joel had a good game. You didn't get much from Maxi that night, which it seems like is becoming more of a common theme. He didn't really play that well that night to begin with, but I just see a lot of offensive possessions where he he doesn't get used the way he should be or the offense becomes very stagnant with James Harden having the ball and it becomes like pounding the air out of the ball and Maxi standing in the corner to shoot threes like a set, a set shooter which he's not you know he he needs the ball a little bit more in his hands the ball needs to be popping a little bit more flying around the perimeter and whatnot and you see small burst of of it from this team but it's like I've I've talked about it. I don't want to beat that into the ground as well but it's just far far too inconsistent they lose easily probably the worst game of the of the season that they've lost which is against the Pistons which is a game that's a team that's like 33 or 34 games under 500 they lose 102 to 94 you know, James Harden, 4 of 15 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3. That just, you know, that just can't happen. And beat at 37, but what are you going to do when no one else really comes to play for you? Maxi had an okay game. It's just, at the end of the day, it's you're going to need more from the, the one of the, especially Harden. If you're going to, Harden did not play well in that game. He maybe had a couple good, good runs in, in the second, third-ish quarter, but towards the end of the game, it, it was just absolutely not. And, and it's just becoming more and more obvious that Doc Rivers is not a good basketball coach, man. And he is not the only reason that this team is not performing well. Like James, And he blames James Harden after the game for the bench not playing well. I just think that's not the case. I think it more has to do with the fact that the bench just isn't that good. And I've been telling you that on here for a while. They're, they're just not. They don't have enough guys that you can count on. You can't be running Niang and and Milton and Corkmas out there and expecting a, a, those guys to perform on, on a on, at a high level. I mean, Danny Green, you're only getting 11 minutes out of Danny Green now. He's completely broken down. Niang it gives you three points, one of three. I guess they didn't have a ton of shots, but for him to go and blame James Harden was a little uh, suspect to me. Uh, it, that's the nicest way I could say it. It just it seems to me like Doc just basically has no clue what's going on uh, on a night-in and night-out basis. He has no idea how to stop these runs. You would think that this guy just started coaching. Like, that's the way he acts. Like, he did, this is his, his first go-around on one of these jobs. He has no ability to adjust or in-game when things aren't going well. It's like, oh, coach, like, what do we do? What do we Like, he's just like, I don't know, you tell me. Throw his hands up. Like, uh, 
you got to ha- like this is the guy where he's supposed to be like a veteran top 15 coach of all time which just goes to show you how ridiculous that list is i, I like what is he like it's the same thing we said with Brett Brown all right it's the same thing i said with Brett Brown at the time what is the, what what difference is he making it's even the Gabe Kapler situation where, yeah, you might not be the worst coach in the league or whatever, but you are not helping. But this, I feel like Doc is actually hurting this team or, or stunting this team's growth. This team blows leads. This team just gets caught up in up in the like the the heat of the game and just com- just completely melts down. They run horrible, horrible offensive sets at the end of the game. They're trying to force feed the ball to Embiid at the end of the game when we have talked about for years that you just can't do because of the way the game is. I know he's the best player, but they hammer him at the end of the game and they don't call anything. There's double teams coming from everywhere. And what can you do when you just keep throwing the ball back into him with six seconds on the shot clock, eight seconds on the shot clock, and he has to make a play. He has to do something immediately. You're force feeding. You're just force feeding his hand. The reason we got James Harden is to is to be the guy that we can throw the ball to at the end of the game who can go get a bucket, who can find the guy who can go get a bucket, who can create the offense for us. He has not been that guy, especially in that Pistons game and especially you know as of late. Now they come home on Saturday afternoon. They they tear the Hornets apart. Great, that feels good. Not doesn't do much for me. It doesn't make me oh yeah everything's okay. We're we're gonna be all right. But it's better than losing. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys in double figures. Embiid, 29, 14, 12 of 16, extremely efficient. Maxi, 19 points. Thibel even had 12 points, which is just remarkable for him. Tobias Harris had 23. Great game. James Harden didn't have to do much. 12 points, 8 boards, 13 assists, 4 of 10. You know, just not a great game, but it wasn't, wasn't a bad game for him. He didn't kill the team by shooting 17 shots, you know, so it... Not and you know, like I've told you, you get a little bit from the bench. You get Milton from Milton ten, Niang ten. If you can get one guy on the bench to score probably double figures, you're in all of these games. That's the problem, though. You're not if Harden and, and them aren't going to pick up their slack, and you're counting on Niangs of the world. It's not a good situation. Sixers go to Cleveland the next night. Take they take care of business. It was a very close game. It was a really good, entertaining game. And beat at forty four. Harden with the triple double again didn't shoot well. Uh, efficiency-wise, percentage-wise, whatnot. Tobias didn't have a great game either, but you don't need to have a great game when you have your best player scoring 44 and carrying you down the stretch. No one else really did much of anything. I mean, Thibel is just awesome on defense. He wins the game for them at the end with that steal and pass to Tobias Harris. Like I said, though, it doesn't really matter. When you get 44 from your best player, uh, you don't really need much from the other guys. And, and if Harden's going to give us a triple-double, 21 point, and if Harden scores 20 points, then we're probably in every game that we play. You know, So it's pretty much that simple. These last few games aren't against anyone of uh, real consequence. We have two games against the Pacers. We get a rematch against the Pistons. And we have a game against the Raptors on Thursday night in, in uh, Toronto. So I guess we're going to find out apparently... Some of the, uh, or you know, one our team is one of the guys who won't say who's vaccinated, and who's not. So I, you know, and obviously, if you guys don't know the rule, being in Toronto, that a no no unvaccinated players can go and play there. It's not like in uh, Brooklyn where if you don't play for them, you can play. But in Toronto, you can't go play. You can't even go into the country, I believe, if you're not vaccinated. So we will find out soon enough who on this team is vaccinated, and who is not. 
and, that, and that's that. I really hope we don't have to run into uh, Toronto. Is not a team I, w- I would love to play in the playoffs. If you look at what's going on right now, uh, playoff picture wise, we are the four seed. We would play the Bulls in the first round, and in the second round, we would play the winner. You know, the Heat or the one seed. So that's probably best case scenario right now. If I had my pick, I would love the Miami Heat in the in, in the playoffs. I, I don't know if we necessarily we beat them, but it's a it's a best matchup of the entire. Uh, crew but like we've said though this is a very fluid situation with us being tied with the Bucks, half game back of the Celtics two and a half back of the Heat don't think the Bulls are going to catch us with three games left and we're probably going to win a lot of these remaining games so a lot is there left to be decided or figured out but we shall uh we shall see there's still like I said and then the Nets are going to be playing in the play-in game or the play-in tournament uh so that that you know that's that that's another situation that needs to resolve itself, and we will see which two of those teams make it uh, from there. Would love love to see the Nets not make the playoffs. Ben's probably not. Well, Ben's not going to play in the regular season or the play-in tournament. Can't imagine that they're just going to throw him in in the playoffs. He's probably not going to play this season. So that's probably better for the Nets, to be honest. Before we get out of here with uh, NBA and, and things of that nature, it doesn't look like Joel's going to win the MVP unless he goes crazy these last few games just based off the fact that Jokic has been so efficient and has had great games uh, in the in the past few weeks. Not against great teams, but he has just kind of picked it up towards the end here. And the MVP is such a popularity contest that I, I they're never they would never give it to him unless he absolutely went out and earned it. Shout out to like the fourth voice crack of the podcast, but <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm battling here, guys. I'm going I'm going to war for everyone in here. This is what this is what a you know the hot take hotbox does. But yeah, it, it, I mean the MVP at the end of the day, if you have that slip that ticket, uh, it's hard, it's brutal to sit here and watch it kind of slip away from you because it seems like that's two years in a row that it's gonna get sli- it's gonna slip away from you at the end of the season to, from but by, by, by way of uh, Nikola Jokic. But he had a great either way. He's having a great season. He might win the scoring title. He needs thirty five tonight to win this or to take back the lead from LeBron in the scoring title. So uh, you know, it's just it, that that's tough. But at the end of the day, it's not our goal. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to win a championship. I'll take the championship over over any MVP or you know solo accolade that that can be given out. So that's that for the Sixers. We have done the Eagles. The national championship was last night. Kansas took care of business against North Carolina in a great game. They were swinging on my boy Brady Manick, who kind of cost the team at the game at the end of the game. I wouldn't blame him for the defensive thing, but him throwing the ball away in in one of those last possessions, then falling down on the last play. uh, They didn't get a good look. Stepping out of bounds. It was just a great all-around game, a classic game. Uh, North Carolina blowing a 16-point lead. And I think what it really came down to was the fact that Kansas was so deep compared to North Carolina, who was only playing five, six guys max. And Kansas has Remy guys like Remy Martin coming off the bench. You're getting you're getting good minutes from the Bronze. And, and I mean, Agbaji was incredible. It, it just you, and then you're getting the the shooters in the corner like Wilson. It, it, it's you just had a bunch of guys who could do a lot of different things. And it seemed like you know, especially with Caleb Love not having a great game last night, that UNC was kind of uh, one dimensional. Uh, I, I, if, I, I don't know if that really makes sense, but it just, well, I guess not one dimensional, but they really only had, 
a couple guys that they could go to to get them get them buckets and, and with you know Leaky Black in foul trouble the entire second half, just it really tied their hands. You got great minutes from Puff Johnson too, and Baycott getting hurt there was killer. It just it was a great game. UNC did every like they they fought their heart out. They they did everything they could. They had no business being in that game, being an eight seed and whatnot. So. They have nothing to be ashamed of. Kansas was a great team. They deserved the national championship, and congratulations to the Jayhawks. It was another great NCAA tournament that never lets, never, never lets me down. It was incredible to watch all March. Can't wait for next year. You know, it's just, it's just how it is. I cannot. I am very excited. The end of Coach K. I didn't really talk about that. That was a great game as well. Villanova losing Justin Moore was killer. They, they stayed in with the Jayhawks for as long as they could, but not much you can do when you're playing a team like that who doesn't miss any threes and is just bigger than you. With the NCAA tournament done, it's now April, so we're moving on. We got baseball coming up here. We got the Phillies. We have the Masters this weekend as well. Tiger it will play, which uh, I don't know if much, any of you are huge, huge golf guys. I I love watching them, any of the majors especially, but the Masters is like the uh, Super Bowl of golf. The just the 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 pinnacle of everything that is great about the game of golf. It. It's like the old that that course is like the ultimate test of their strength and will and just everything that you need to do to play great golf and it's just it, the conditions are usually incredible. It's not like a oh it was wind crazy windy and this it, it killed the scores. Like it's usually just like a beautiful day, always just the most immaculate conditions possible. It's just yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about. So if you look at the, the odds. For the, for the Masters and for who's going to win the thing. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily have like a bunch of big picks. I would probably, like, I like Brooks Kepka at plus 1900. I like Jordan Speed at plus 1900. Like, Roy McIlroy. Like, anything that's not on the top. I don't like betting. Well, I mean, even though any of these guys, it's kind of. You can't go wrong, you know, because it, 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 it's such a shot in the dark. Tiger's going down from plus 5,000 to plus 4,800. So. There's that. I'm sure the bets are coming in heavy and uh, heavy and hard. Oh yeah, if you know what I mean for for Tiger uh, Tiger Woods here. There's just so many good names here. These I mean, let me list some of these names here at the top: John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Cameron Smith, who's been in Fuego, Dustin Johnson, Scotty Scheffler, who's the number one player in the world, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, you know, Victor Victor Hovland, uh, Colin Morikawa, who's always a good bet at plus twenty two hundred. I'm not even going to give you any picks. Well, you know, I don't have I don't have a guy who I'm leaning towards, or I would probably right here, right now, give me Jordan Spieth to win the Green Jacket this weekend. But I don't I don't trust it, or or you know what I mean. I, uh, Fanduel is running a Augusta Winter Insurance. If your guy gets in the top ten, you get your money back. So that's that that's fun. I think it's up to twenty five uh, twenty five dollars. So that that that's that's not a bad uh, a bad bet or a bad time to uh, get in and. Bet some golf, but there's plenty of other stuff going on this weekend. That's quickly. I don't even know why I wasted your time for people out there who just skipped through the the golf talk. But I'm sorry, I don't want to hurt your feelings there. The Phils this weekend open up against the Oakland Athletics at home. It looks like Aaron Nola will probably be the opening day starter if I sit here today on Tuesday. It's not going to be Zach Wheeler for sure because Zach Wheeler is staying behind and pitching some simulated games down there in uh, Clearwater. The news today is that Alec Bohm and Mickey Moniak are both going to make the team, which is interesting. I don't know exactly if I, I, I actually, no, I don't, I know exactly. I don't like that. 
I'm not. I am not a huge fan of that. Just because, I I, I don't. I want. I understand why they're they're doing it. Probably because they're probably going to go platoon like they are in center field with Moniac and Veerling. They're going to go lefty righty. Uh, whoever, whatever the situation calls for, lefty Bohm will probably be starting third base. If there's a righty pitching, then it'll probably be Stott. I, I don't like. I don't love that. I guess you could get Stott in there at shortstop every once in a while as well. I just think Stott's the better option overall, and, and he's going to be your everyday third baseman or shortstop at some point. You might as well just don't waste your time and just get him out there. He's going to have to hit against lefties at some point. Why waste your time? Do it now. Uh, I hope they can move Bohm at some point or. I really was hoping that they would send him down to get him some more ABs and, and maybe he could really help the team maybe down the road or I don't know. I just don't think Bohm fits on this team anymore, especially with the the moves they made this offseason. There's not going to be a DH available. Maybe he can play some first base, but I feel like you can find other other guys or, or I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I think I'm out on Bohm completely. I don't know if he, he, maybe he can be a great player or maybe he can be a competent uh, MLB player, but I am not sold on his ability to do so, and I'm not sold that he can do it here, or if this is the right place for him to do it. Especially do another thing is just his glove is awful. It's awful, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not uh, not something that you can just look past or uh, you know ignore. It's not good, and Stott will give you way better uh, fielding at third base, although maybe not the same power or whatnot, but I think the other guys in the lineup are going to make up for that. You know, Stott's going to get on base. Stott's going to get hits. Stott's going to give you good at-bats. Yeah, it is what it is, I guess, but it, 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 I guess it's very early on in the season. This thing will resolve itself at some point. One, not Stott's not going to be moved, but I think they're going to have to do something with Bohm and move him maybe for a pitcher, maybe for something else. That That's where I'm at right now because I just don't think there is a spot for him here. Long-term, that is. Long-term. Not, you know, they, you can fit him in here and there, and, and but he's not, he's more than that. He's more than just a utility fill-in sort of guy. He is a player who was picked third overall in the, in the, in the draft. A highly touted prospect. You can't. And I, I'm not a fan of just throwing him away, but I would like to build him back up and maybe get something for him. I, and and if we hadn't gotten a Castellanos, we hadn't gotten a Schwarber, you could play him at first base and DH him from time to time. But I just don't see that as a reasonable option anymore. And I just don't think he's going to get the at bats that he needs to to grow and develop into the player that or get the confidence back because I think his big thing is he's just going to need to get his confidence back from what happened last season because he had a really really bad year and he had a really rough start to the spring he started to come on there towards the end but yeah I'm I'm, I'm feeling confident about the fills though I don't want to you go back to the last last few podcasts if you really want to hear my hardcore breakdown of the fills I think the fills will make the playoffs they will compete for the NL East all season long I, they, I know for sure they're going to make the wild card we will we shall see if they you know makes make different moves i think they're going to need another pitcher austin meadows was a guy they were thinking about getting for center field but he just got traded to the tigers from the uh, rays tigers from the rays but uh yeah so uh, the fills it looks like they're going veerling ammoniac in center field i hope we don't have to see oduble i hope by the time oduble is healthy and whatnot that these guys have one of these two have run away with it or they're both just playing well and the platoon's working well 
and they're going lefty righty and everything's uh, you know peaches and cream so that that's that's where I'm at with this uh, I am looking forward to uh, opening day this weekend and we will be back uh, maybe we even have a podcast tomorrow uh, I think I, we're, we're looking to have the Dean back on in the next few days or week or so to talk talk some baseball talk some fills talk some sixers uh playoff chances or not chances but just the playoff forecast i should say and what he thinks about the eagles and the the jalen hurt situation and whatnot so we will get into all that we're gonna have a shoulder strikes mma podcast this week talking about the ufc 273 Volkanovski and the Korean zombie Chen Sung Jung fighting this weekend for the featherweight title. We got Jan and Sterling running it back. And my guy, Hamza Chemaev, is fighting Gilbert Burns in a fight where he is a minus 600 favorite. And he's never fought anyone close to as good as Gilbert Burns. It's just a crazy odds. And it just goes to tell you where where the people or how the how Vegas and how the people feel about Hamza Chemaev's ability and how great of a, of a fighter that man is. So... All of that coming this week for you, for everyone out there. Thank you again for joining me. I don't think I'm missing anything, but if I do, I will come back in next week, sometime this week, and we will get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Hot Take Hotbox, my name is Max Sweeney. Thank you for joining me.